Believe it or not, Father Nicholas Gruner, the priest of Fatima, as many knew him for many, many years, actually predicted that the consecration of Russia by the Pope in union with the world's bishops would actually happen by the successor to Benedict XVI. I kid you not. We're going to show you this video and discuss it with a former member of that Fatima team, Kennedy Hall, that you all know from LifeSite News. Stay tuned. Kennedy, welcome to the John Henry Weston Show. Thanks for having me back. Let's begin as we always do at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So super fascinating. Uh, you were part of the Fatima Center for a little while. Um, and uh, I want you to comment on this video. Let's watch it first together, and uh, then let, let us hear what you think. I've been told that it would not be John... Paul II, who would do the consecration of Russia, I've been told it would not be his successor, but the successor of John Paul's successor, in other words, the successor of Benedict XVI. So in that sense, it's good news because we're now going to have the next pope, the next pope will be the one to do the consecration. I've been at this for 36 years, it's been a long time, and I'm getting a little tired, and uh, so it's very nice to know we're getting closer, that we're getting closer to the consecration. When that takes place, we'll have the consecration not of the world, but the consecration of Russia, as already specified, when we have that consecration, we will have world peace. And I'm sure we all could use world peace. Also, the financial crisis and the threatening World War III, if he does it in time, will not take place. So, Kennedy, that's just incredible. Uh, where did Father get this information? Uh, this seems like total prophecy. And what do you make of it? I have no idea. You know, when I started working at the Fatima Center, I was uh, there after Father Gruner had passed, God rest his soul. And um, I've heard a lot of stories. And, you know, he was he was steeped in the devotion to Fatima. You know, he was the Fatima priest. And um, he was also steeped in the private revelation. It can be difficult, murky waters getting into some of that, but he was always trying to discern what was true. And he was talking to the insiders in Rome. He had connections all over the place. And I think he just sort of put it all together and said, here's what's going to happen. Um, there could be a backstory that I don't know, um, but uh, he made a lot of predictions that came true, especially about Pope Benedict and Francis and so forth. And and this seems like one of them. Amazing. Well, Okay, so this is a really confusing time because while there's a massive hope, there's also massive consternation. I guess that comes with everything. But mm -hmm. here we are in the midst of this from this pope. And and we at LifeSite News are, are very upfront about what this is about Pope Francis. This is very damaging, very concerning. He has attacked church teaching on so many issues over these last eight years. It's been unbelievable. And yet now we see this. What, what do you make of it? Well, he's the Pope. I mean, I know some people will say, well, actually, I'm going to back up here. Some people aren't sure if Pope Francis is the Pope, but mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't, in my mind, actually change what will happen because I imagine Benedict will take place, will, will, um, mm -hmm. will take part. Um, I believe he's the Pope. Okay, that's just my own belief uh, in my own opinion there. However, um, I would say there are times in church history when there's been confusion about who's the Pope and there have been saints who were wrong about who the Pope was. Um, and there's also been times in church history where there's been terrible popes 
just objectively speaking. Um, I can't remember the, the, the Pope's name, but it was during the time of what was called the pornocracy, which was a time when it sounds like it was like what it sounds like. I mean, Rome was full of prostitutes in the Vatican, and it was a terrible time. And there was a major um, uh, doctrinal issue coming up, and people thought that m massively important church teaching, which cannot be changed, was going to be on the surface change. And a pope who was a derelict stopped it. Um, pope Francis is not the worst pope we've ever had in history, I don't think. I mean, maybe in some ways people, people say he, he is. I don't know. But he's definitely not the best we've ever had. And it doesn't matter. Our Lady said, the Pope will do this and it will happen late. We know the, the, we know that the prophecy has to come true because Our Lady doesn't tell lies. Um, but at the same time, he also sits in the chair. He is the Pope. He, he has a view of things. He's got the archives. He talks to the insiders. There are people praying for him. There are people fasting for him. You know, we pray for the Pope every day on the rosary. We're just one family. How many billions of rosaries have been prayed for this man in the last uh, seven, eight years? I have no idea, but it's been billions. Um, grace affects people in strange ways. Who thought St. Paul would be knocked off his horse and become who he was? I don't know. These are these things are a mystery. Whatever the Pope's doing, whether it's because he wants to jump on the Ukraine bandwagon, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the reasons are. But whatever he's doing, he's doing this, and it's the Pope. And on the one hand, we should be... Uh, I see why we can be skeptical. On the other hand, um, God surprises us. The astonishing reversals in church history have been just that. They've been astonishing reversals. God willing, we're living through one of those right now. Amazing. So let's address some of these controversies because it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Saul and Paul and whoever thought that Saul would convert. And it's true. Uh, I'm going to tell a little story because this is actually very personally relevant. And I'm not saying that I'm a prophet or anything else, but just and I've heard similar people with similar stories uh, to this. In fact, Charles Morton, uh, the filmmaker who was doing the film on Fatima and, and met with Sister Lucy and interviewed her um, her spiritual director, for whom we're doing a life funder, by the way, and I encourage you to watch our show together. Fascinating stuff. But he, too, had kind of an inner revelation about Francis. And my story about Francis is very simple. I was um, There was a mother superior I knew of great order whose bishop, who was very, very good, uh, had done the right thing in terms of a self-evaluation if he indeed had covered up for sexual abuse in, unintentionally, but he brought upon himself an investigation. And of course, that investigation showed, yep, there was some things that he could have done better. And for this, though, he was asked to leave by Pope Francis, which was absolutely horrendous, totally uncalled for. He was better than almost all of, if not all of, the U.S. bishops anyway. But nonetheless, this happened the day that the bishop was taken out. I called the mother superior, whom I knew, and I said, I'm so sorry that you've lost your spiritual father, and, uh, you know, gave her my condolences. And I was walking to Mass at the time, and uh, I just, knowing what Pope Francis had done and had been doing, and, and very terrible things in terms of both threatening church teaching, uh, really taking a hacksaw to the root of the church's tradition in canceling these traditional orders. It was just horrific. And I had a sort of inner thought of, boy, you know, he's just like Saul persecuting the church. And I, I really pray that he has that conversion that's so needed and he'll fall off that horse and, and, and turn around and become, like Saul did, a great apostle of zeal much more so than others because he was so zealous in his persecution of Christians that, uh, you know, that he came, became this apostle of such great zeal as well. And it was very much the same thought with Francis. He is 
uh, unlike most popes, so zealous for what he wants. What he wants is the other side, actually, horrifically. It's been the liberal approach to the church, the the what many think is a heretical approach uh, of, of modernism in the church. But he's pursued it zealously, so much more zealously than most would, because he basically seems to have no concern what others are going to think about what he does. He just does it anyway. So if that could be turned around to the truth... Uh, and and literally, I mean, you, you imagine what could have been done. You know, what needs to be done is, hey, all you bishops who are are uh, against the traditional teaching of the church, smarten up right now or you're out, you're gone. Um, that kind of thing you could see him doing with that same zeal, but he's doing it on the other side right now. So imagine a turnaround. Well, I get to mass and I kid you not, the story, the, the story told in the reading at Mass is the conversion of St. Paul. <laughs> I, was, I was floored a little bit thinking, well, I was given some uh, hopefully grace in being hopeful for Pope Francis. And that's why we've, we've called for the conversion of Pope Francis after Bishop Schneider uh, instructed us to do so and did so himself publicly. And we've been praying at LifeSite for that every day. Um, a beautiful thing it would be. And, and, Let's go forward like little children and, and accept that this is what's being done. In fact, when it was first called out that this is coming, we were like stunned. Two main questions. One, is it being done in union with all the bishops of the world like the, Our Lady asked for? And two, um, you know, uh, is, uh, is he going, to, is the mentioning of Russia and Ukraine together okay or is that going to cause a problem? Um, I'm going to let you address uh, one of those now, the union with all the bishops of the world. Um, you know, what What did you make of that when it first broke and, and what was your reaction? Yeah, so when it first broke, um, I was actually, I went to a Holy Name Society meeting that night at my chapel. And so I talked to one of my priests, a very good priest. And I, and, and you know, at that point it had not been announced that it would be in union with all the bishops. However, I had the idea, I thought, you know, this Ukraine thing, I mean, it's everybody has the Ukrainian flag in their bio on social media and things. Like, this is the issue du jour. It's actually cool to pray for the Ukraine, even if you're a leftist. Um, mm -hmm. So I thought there might just be some... And maybe that's why God's cho choosing this time, because this idea that you're going to pray for Russia and Ukraine, um, that's something that even people who are non-religious, uh, they'll probably support as some sort of virtue signal, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Um so I thought, you know, I imagine, I, I said to my priest, I said, you know, Father, I think a lot of bishops are going to do this. Uh, just because, you know, every day bishops offer Mass, and uh, every day they pray for the Pope, I mean, I would imagine so. Um, there's been no stipulation. I mean, if you look back at the actual text between the exchanges between Sister Lucy and Our Lady and, and things like that, it says to pray for the bishop, pray, uh, Pope with the bishops at the same time for the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. But it's not as if there was some sort of missile that was put forth and it was something with rubrics, okay? So I asked my, my, my priest and I said, what would constitute being in union with the Pope on this? I said, would it be enough if they, you know, in their hearts basically said, I also consecrate that nation and I'm going to offer my intentions for the Holy Father's consecration at Mass? And we, we said, you know, it might be enough. I mean, again, it just says the Pope in union with the bishops, um, and at the same time, that could be interpreted as same day, you know, um, because let's, you know, let's be honest, let's say, you know, you're a, you're a bishop and, and you intend to do it at 5 p.m. Rome time and you're in Tokyo, so it's two in the morning or whatever it is. 
And for some reason, your car breaks down on the way to the cathedral. I don't know. I mean, if you get there at 2.30, your time, and you have the intention, does that nullify it? I mean, that wouldn't fit the way we look at Catholic theology. Intention, real intention is very important. Um, so we, we both agreed that, you know what? If the bishops want to do it on the same day, and they all want to say, intend to do the same thing the Holy Father does, that would probably suffice in a similar way with ecumenical councils. Um, it's never the case, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it's the case maybe when the church was very small, but since then, not, not so, that every single bishop on earth actually attends every session of a council. Even at the Second Vatican Council, many of them were not there for various reasons. But why do we say that a council happens, the bishops of the world with the Pope? Because there's what's called a moral majority. It represents the body of bishops, and those who aren't presents give their assent as being part of this body of Catholic bishops. The same thing could also be true about what's happening with this. Now, since the few days ago, when we weren't sure it was going to happen, we now see that Pope Francis has put out a publication, and we publish this on LifeSite, or the Rome, I should say, put it out, that they're inviting all the bishops to do it. I also just got a message from Matt Gasper, his mutual friend, and um, he said the Filipino bishops have put out their intentions on their own to do it anyway. And they're all saying they're going to be doing it at 5 p.m. Rome time. So it actually looks like at this point, it's not just going to be something where we're hoping they'll join, but where the Pope is inviting them. And the last thing I'll say before I stop uh, rambling too much is, is um, you know, this is the age of blind obedience, which is not good. This is why we have so many issues in the church. But the thing is, the bishops of the world love to be on Pope Francis's good side, to a fault. Pope Francis is doing something, and for them, it looks real good if they jump right on it. So maybe, you know, with this combination of the Ukraine virtue signaling, plus this obedience in the church, you know, these sorts of things, it might just be a fruitful time for exactly what Our Lady asked for to happen. Amazing. Amazing. And then one question about the uh, Ukraine and Russia being mentioned together, not Russia alone. I know a lot of people thought there was some problem with that, but Bishop Schneider, I think, has answered that question. If you go to LifeSite News right now, you'll see the answer. Um, and that is that, you know, at the time that the consecration was asked for, Ukraine was part of Russia anyway. So there's no, uh, there's no problem there with that. Um, so let's be hopeful. Let's be thankful. Let's really, like little children, go forward. You know, if there's some big problem, God only knows, he'll reveal that to us. But what we're trying to do is answer the quest of Our Lady. And we see that now, I think heaven's brought it forward, as truly needed, as something we're all hopeful for. And especially for Catholics who have been, have a childlike faith, I think the promise of Our Lady that the world will be given a period of peace um, will be, will know that because a period of peace will be real peace. Our yes. Lady's not going to promise real a period of peace in the world that still has 50 million uh, unborn children killed every year, every year uh, around the world. So uh, let's pray for this. Let's do it. Thank you, Kennedy, for joining us on this episode. Thank you. Let's hope this happens. Amen and amen. God bless you all, and we'll see you next time on The John Henry Weston Show. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. 
We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.